This is a Liberty Baptist Church sermon podcast. LBC is pastored by Jordan Zeke and exists to reach the lost, disciple the saved, and send the called. For more information on our church, please check out our website at lbcspokane.com. We hope that you are encouraged by today's sermon and that it draws you closer to God. If you want to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, we are going to uh, be talking about continuing our series on the life of Jesus in Luke. But today we start a new segment of that series. We talked about the birth of Jesus and, and the announcement of his coming. But today we are talking about the beginning of the ministry of Jesus, talking about what happens at the very beginning of Jesus's ministry. And so uh, this today we're talking specifically about uh, a time when he was a child and the, we're going to be finishing out Luke chapter two. And then next week we'll jump into Luke chapter three. And so um I'm excited to just be able to continue on in this, and I'm excited to be able to walk through Jesus' life and just see, you know, the miracles he did, the, the different teachings that he gave, and to start off with simply the beginning, because it, we have to start somewhere, and I thought this was a great way to start off the year. Last week, we talked about our, our theme, which is being planted and being a church that's planted. We want to sow uh, Christ in our community. We want to grow the, the plant that's in our hearts and we want to be planted in God's word every single day. And this is, this is a great start to start with. How did Christ start? What was the beginning of his ministry like? And so if you want to read with me, we're going to be in Luke chapter two, starting in verse 40. And this is what it says. And the child grew, and this is, this is Christ. And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover, and when he was twelve years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. And when they had fulfilled the days as they returned, the child or the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem. And Joseph and his mother knew not of it, but they supposing him to have been in the company went a day's journey, and they sought him among the kinfolk and acquaintances. And when they found him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem, seeking him. And it came to pass, after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. And when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou dealt with us? Behold, thy, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. And he said unto them, How is it that you sought me? Wished ye not that I must be about my father's business? And they understood not the saying which he had spoken unto them, and they went down, or he went down with them, and came to Nazareth, and was subject unto them, and his mother kept all these sayings in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. I want to break down this, this story that we see of Christ at the age of 12 just a little bit and then to ask you three simple questions and to, to kind of break those questions down. What we see at the beginning, we're going to walk through it. It starts off in verse 40 and it says, And the child grew and waxed strong in the spirit filled with wisdom and the grace of God was upon him. This is just saying that, that Christ was still like us. 
The same way as, as we, we had read in Luke 2 that he was born of the flesh, and we've talked uh, in Sunday school about Christ being the incarnate, 100% man, 100% God, but this is just affirming that, saying the child grew and he waxed strong in the spirit with wisdom and the grace was upon, grace of God was upon him. He, he just grew up. He started growing up. This is, this, is, this is what happens when children grow up. In verse 41, it says, Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of Passover. And when, and when he was 12, he, uh, 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. So this is a tradition among the Jews to attend the Passover. It's a celebration of the freedom from Egypt. So if you remember back in Exodus, the, the, the people of Israel having an exodus, being exiting out of, Israel, of Egypt, that's what they're celebrating here. They're celebrating the Passover at the last, the last uh, um, plague that was put upon Egypt, so that way the children of Israel would go out, is that they were told, hey, put blood on your doorposts, and then the angel of death will know to pass over your house. And so that's what they're celebrating here, is, hey, this was the final nail in the coffin that allowed us to escape Egypt. This is what God had gifted us with, the Passover, the passing over of our people, so that way we could escape Egypt. So this is what they're celebrating, but it keeps going. And this Passover was an important one for Jesus because the Jews ceremoniously became responsible as men at the age of 13. So this is, this is called the bar mitzvah. This is, and so if Christ is at the age of 12, this is going to be a big one for him because it's right before he becomes a man right before he's considered to be a man to the Jewish people. So this is a big deal. This is a big, important date that they're talking about. This isn't just a normal Passover. I mean, it is a normal Passover, but for their family, it's important. It's significant. This is, this is his final one as a boy. So he goes with them. And then in 43, it says, And when they had fulfilled the days as they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother knew not of it. So he's, they go to Jerusalem, and they're from Bethlehem. And uh, before that, they had, if you remember a couple weeks ago, when after uh, Jesus was born, they were told they needed to leave Bethlehem because King Herod was after them. He wanted to kill them. And so they're finally back in Bethlehem after King Herod had passed. And then here they are. They're traveling. They make this, this whole travel, this journey to Jerusalem, as they do every single year. But they brought Jesus and then all of a sudden they start to turn back, and this is about, uh, this is a couple days journey. They were probably in a big caravan, a bunch of people going. And all of a sudden they start going back, and they don't realize that Christ is not with them. So it says that Joseph and his mother knew not of it. But it says, but they, supposing him to have been in the company, went a day's journey and sought him among their kinfolk and their acquaintances. And when they found him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem seeking him. So this is, again, kind of, they're going in this big group, and all of a sudden, a day goes by, and they're like, all right, we should probably find our son. He's probably somewhere. Let's, let's go ask our friends. Let's ask our family. We just made this long journey. And then all of a sudden, he's, hey, you seen Jesus? He's probably with you, right? Not with me. All right, that's this person. Jesus is with you, right? Nope. And so then, you know, as a parent, they're probably just starting, we left our kid. <laughs> We left, we left our son, and then they, they understand the significance of Jesus, so they, they, start, they start stressing. They start getting upset and worried, and, and Mary even says that they're sorrowful, that they're, 
they're worried that they just lost their son in Jerusalem. This is, I mean, to think about the Passover, this is, this is a celebration. This is a whole week festival. There's a lot of people there, and they lost him in all of these people. They don't know where he is. They don't know what's going on. He's not with the friends. He's not with the family. And so they, they, they go back. It says that, that when they couldn't find, when they found him not, in verse 45, they turned back again to Jerusalem seeking him, saying, hey, well, all right, we're gonna, we're gonna go find him. This is, it's a kind of important. He's a big deal. We learned about this in Luke 2, the beginning. This is important. And so in Luke, or in verse 46, here's what we see. And it came to pass after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. So they go to Jerusalem and they start looking for him some more and, and it takes them a couple more days to finally find him, but where do they find him except in God's house? In the temple, sitting there, talking with the doctors, the people who are of mighty intelligence, people who know things, they understand what's going on, and he's talking with them, he's, he's asking questions, he's giving them answers. It even says that in, in, uh, verse, um, in verse 47, and all that had heard him were astonished at his understanding, meaning that, he was not only just sitting there listening to people, but he was himself showing his wisdom. At the very beginning of this chapter, we saw or the, these verses, it says, and the child grew and waxed strong in the spirit and was filled with wisdom, meaning that he's growing, he's understanding, he's probably understanding who he is at this point, because we don't, we don't necessarily know that at the very beginning of his, of his childhood that he knew that he was God, I mean, I'm sure he, he might have, and I'm sure that at some point he realized it, but he, he began to show that wisdom. He began to display that, and he was talking to the people and trying and giving them answers, and they were astonished about it. And so it says in, in, uh, in verse 47, it says, And all that had heard him were astonished at his understanding and his answers. But then in 48 it says, And when they saw him, his parents, they were amazed, and his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing, saying, Why'd you run away? What's going on? What, why? Where'd you go? We were sorrowful. We thought, you, we thought we had lost you. We thought you were gone. Why? Why? Why are you gone? And then here's what, here's what he says in verse 49. And he said unto them, How is it that you sought me? Wist ye not, or don't you know, that I must be about my father's business? He says, why, why did you take so long to find me? Don't you know that I'm going to be here? I'm going to be about my father's business. I'm going to be discussing like I am right now. That's why I'm here. That's the importance of me being here. Why'd you, why did it take you so long to find me? Don't you know I'm, about to, I'm supposed to be about my father's business? But it says, it says that, that Mary and Joseph, they didn't understand. They didn't know. It says they understood not the saying which he spoke unto them. And, and then he went with them and he came to Nazareth and he was subject unto them. And his mother kept all these sayings in her heart. So he's saying, hey, I don't, I don't know why it took you so long. I'm supposed to be about my father's business. But they're kind of like, you know, I, Sherry and I, we were just talking this week. We just watched... Uh, that episode on The Chosen, I don't know if you've seen The Chosen, but this specific episode we watched at the beginning of the week, and I was like, ah, 
this is what I'm reading this week. But when he says it, I, th- I think they kind of, they do a really good job of, you know, he says, hey, I'm supposed to be about my father's business. And they kind of look at each other like, your dad's right here. Your father's, you know, that, that could kind of be confusing if they don't understand what he's talking about. He's saying, I'm supposed to be about my heavenly father, God's business. I'm here because that's why I'm here. That's my entire purpose for being on this earth, is to be about my father's business. And so it says that they didn't understand what he was speaking to them, but then he went down to Nazareth and he was subject under them, so he was obeying them, he was doing what was right. And it says in verse 52, And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Meaning that he continued to grow. These then become what are called the silent years. We don't necessarily know what happened during his teenage years, even from the age of about 2 to 12 that we see right here. We don't, we don't know a lot of, there's no stories on Jesus right here. And then from 12 to about 33, I think, is, is the, when we see him next. We don't know anything that happens there. But we do know that it says that Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with man. Jesus continued to grow, but we'll eventually see him at the beginning of his ministry. But today, I want to simply ask you three different questions. After reading this passage, after seeing Christ response to his parents trying to find him, I want to ask you these three questions. If somebody was looking for you, where would they find you? If somebody was looking for you, what would you be doing? And if if somebody was looking for you and they needed to explain to somebody, hey, have you seen this? What would they say about you? You know, I was talking to... um, one of our old youth pastors, my old youth pastor, Bobby Hughes, just yesterday he had called me, and it was great. Um, one of our a church plant that we support over in Tacoma. But I was talking with him, and he he kind of all week I've been thinking about, you know, how can I apply this? How can I how can I make this applicable to our church? And he told me, he's like, man, ask him if so, if you were to pass away, or if somebody was to look for you, or if something was to happen, even the rapture. Where would they be? What would they be doing? If somebody was to pass away, what would people say about them? You know, that's the important thing that we need to understand, is that we have a goal here. We have a purpose on this earth, and that's to glorify God. So the three questions I, I want to ask is, where would, you, where would somebody find you? What would you be doing, and what would they say about you? Because that's important. I know that you know our outward appearance and the different things that that, that we do and the, the all this stuff. It, a lot of people say, you know, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You just do you and stuff. But if we're believers, we should be living like believers. We should be different. We should be just as Christ about our Father's business. So there's three things that I want us to really look at in the ways that we answer these questions And the first thing that I think we need to be doing to answer these questions correctly is we need to grow in your relationship with God. To grow in our relationships with God. We see that Jesus continued to grow in the Spirit and that he grew in wisdom. 
We saw that because it said so. It said he grew in wisdom. He grew, he grew in all these different things. But we also know in Hebrews 5.8 that it says, Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things that he suffered. Just like us, he had to learn things. He had to learn obedience from, from, from doing all these different things. He had to grow in wisdom by learning it. Not only that, but Hebrews 4.15 says, For we have not a highest priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, meaning he's, he can't not understand what we're going through, but was in all points tempted, like as we are, yet without sin. Christ grew in his relationship with his Father. He grew in the Spirit. He grew in wisdom because he lived the same way we did just without sin. He grew up, he had siblings. We see that with, with Mary and his half-brother James and a couple other siblings. We know that, you know, it's, it's difficult to live with siblings. I got four of them, and I'll tell you right now, they get under my skin from time to time. Even still, we're, we're old, 19 to 29, and the 29-year-old probably gets under my skin the most. <laughs> but the point is, is that he lived the same way we did. He was tempted the same way we are. Yet he was without sin. We need to grow in our relationship because Christ made it a priority. Christ grew in his relationship because he understood, you know, he's got all this power, he's got all this wisdom, but the best way to, to relate to us and to understand what we're going through is to put himself in our shoes. To do this and to, to go through all of these same stages of life, yet without sin. We need to grow in our relationship because Jesus continued to grow in the Spirit. But not only that, we're called to draw closer to God. James 4, 8 says, Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Saying we need to draw closer to God. We need to cleanse our hands. We're, we're all sinners. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So when, when James, again, Jesus' half-brother, right here is saying, draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. If we are trying to build a relationship with God, the same way that Christ was building a relationship with God, then he's going to draw nigh to us. But how do we do that? We cleanse our hands. We try to live in righteousness. We try to grow in the spirit and grow in wisdom. We talked this morning in Sunday school about, about the, the, the works of the Holy Spirit pre-conversion and during conversion. And we talked about how we can be filled with the Holy Spirit and that it's because of the Holy Spirit that we get baptized into the body of Christ, but we need to grow in the Holy Spirit. And next week, we're going to talk more about assurance, about sanctification with the Holy Spirit. So if I encourage you, come to our Sunday school and learn a little bit more about that. But we need to continue to grow. We need to continue to build on that relationship. Not only that, but just like Christ, we should be involved in our Father's business. You know, Christ, he came for a purpose. Christ came to this world with the sole intention to save us from our sins and to give us a way to, to get to God, to live with him forever. He says, there is no, no way to get to God except through me. No one can see the Father except through me. We need to understand that just like Christ, we need to have that attitude. We need to be about God's business. 
You know, this, this, uh, this last week, like I said, we talked about our theme, which is being planted in Psalm 1, and we talked about what it means to be a, a believer that is planted, and we need to make sure to rely on other people. We need to, we need to make sure that we are growing and we are continually doing this stuff. But again, I said it last week, I'll say it again, we can't grow if we're not trying to grow. We can't grow if we aren't being about our Father's business. We can't be a church that's planted in this community if we aren't putting God at the forefront of our minds. The first thing we need to do to be like Christ, to make, uh, to make our lives about God's business, is to grow in our relationships with Him. That's to be saved. That's to live a life that is pleasing to God, not a life that is pleasing to man. So the first thing that we need to do is to grow in our relationship with God. The second thing that I think we need to do is we need to allow others to help us grow. Again, just like I said last week, we need to rely on people to help us grow. It's important for us. We see that Jesus was both hearing and asking them questions. And then it kept going on, and it says that that the people were astonished with the, the, the answers that he was given. Again, saying that he's not only just sitting here taking it all in, but he's also giving it to people. But we are to take it in. He's hearing them. He's asking them questions. He's trying to grow. He's trying to learn. He's trying to understand and to get all of this. That's what what we see right here. If he's being about his father's business, he's making it a priority. He's asking questions, things he's confused about, things that he needs to understand. That's the important thing. Jesus was both hearing them and asking them questions, so we need people who are going to pour into us to help us grow the way that we should. That's the important thing about a community, about a church family, is that it's full of people who are going to pour into us and help us grow the way we should. Proverbs 27, 17, if, you, if uh, any of you men, you've got your, your coin right here on the very back, there's, it says it right there. Proverbs 27, 17, it says this. Iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. We're supposed to rub shoulders together. We're supposed to do God's work together. We're supposed to make God's business our business together. We're supposed to do that because iron sharpens iron. So so when we're working together, when we're both trying to sharpen our blades, when we're both trying to grow, then we're going to grow. We're going to get sharper. We're going to grow in wisdom. Titus 1 or 2, 1 through 8, this is a lot of verses, but I like it, and so I'm going to read them all. It says, but speak, now, or, but speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, in patience. The aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not giving them much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, be discreet, uh, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. And young men, likewise, exhort to be sober-minded in all things, showing thyself a pattern in good work, in doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech, that can, cannot be condemned, that he that is in the contrary may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say to you. This is, this is really what this is saying. It's saying, older people, 
teach the younger people. Younger people, listen to the older people. Everybody, work together. That's what we're called to do. We're supposed to find mentors. We're supposed to find find uh, accountability partners. We're supposed to find people who we can do work with and make God's business our business. That's what we're called to do. And we can't do that if we're not a part of a local church. Sure, we can find believers out, out in the world, and, and that's great, and it's fantastic to have believing friends and at the workplace, outside with friends, all that stuff. That is fantastic. But we also understand the importance of the local New Testament church is to do just that. That's what, that's what it is right here in Titus. Is, Titus, the entire book, is talking about, hey, here's how you be a leader. Here's how, here's how you, you uh, talking about pastors, talking about elders, talking about all this stuff. And it's talking about the local church, saying, hey, older people, be, be sound. Be, be, make sure your doctrine's right. Make sure all of these different things. But teach the younger generation how to do that. Younger generation, take that in and allow it to change you. Allow it to affect the ways we live. But I would, I would give the same charge to the older people. Allow the younger people to sharpen you. Allow them to mentor you on, on the things of this world because we know that, that the, the 60s and 70s are a little bit different than, the, than 2024 that we're in right now. There's things we can all learn about together. The first thing that we can do to be like Christ in this situation and to understand the correct ways we should answer those, those questions is to, to grow in our own relationship. The second thing is to allow others to help us grow. But the last one is to, number three, help others grow. We need to, one, focus on ourselves, our own relationship, because we can't, we can't help others grow without having a good relationship first. Number two, we need to allow others to help us in that relationship, to grow, to, to water us, to be able to help us get better in our lives. But number three, we need to be the helper. We need to continue to pour into other people. We see again that Jesus not only asked questions, but he answers to questions that astonished those who were there. These doctors that, again, they were, they were those who were very high in their knowledge and their understanding and their, their, their thoughts. And so for a 12-year-old Jesus to astonish them with his answers probably made them think about the things they were saying probably made them think about the answers that they were given. Because, yes, Jesus was sitting there asking them questions, listening to their answers, but he was also answering. And people were astonished about it. He was not only growing in his own wisdom, allowing other people to help him grow, but number three, he was also helping others grow. He was astonishing them with his answers. We have, been call- or we have not been called to argue and despise each other, but we have been called to build each other up, to lift each other up as believers. First Thessalonians 5, 9 through 11 says, For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain our, or to, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we keep or wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together, 
and edify one another, even as also ye do. Saying, we haven't been appointed to wrath. We haven't been appointed to, to cause conflict, to have disagreements. Now, now, it's one thing to have a simple conversation about, hey, I think this, you think this, let's talk about it. But it's a completely another to jump down their throat and say, you have to believe this. Hey, I believe this. Hey, you're wrong on this. Hey, this is what's going on in the world. Hey, this is what you have. You have to be on this side of the fence. You can't be over here. That's not what we're called to do. It says, for God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. We have to make sure that our priorities are straight. That we're not, that if we are trying to correct people, because the Bible does talk about correcting people, it says that we need to do it in love. That we aren't here to choose to, to be wrathful, to be hateful, to despise people, to, to cause arguments, to cause disagreements, to cause all these different things. The Bible talks specifically about causing tension and to, that we aren't supposed to do that. But it says we're supposed to grow together with Him. We need to make sure that our calling is not to argue and to despise each other, but that we are called to build each other up. We're not only that, but we are, we are to help those around us in genuine love. Romans 12, 10, or actually, sorry, Romans 12, 9 through 13, I changed that this morning. It says, let love be without dissimulation, abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good, be kindly affectionated or affectioned one to another with brotherly love and honor, preferring one another, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer, distributing to the necessity of saints given to hospitality. All of these different things that it says that it calls us to do, it says for one simple reason, is because we need to love without dissimulation. If you don't know what dissimulation means, it means to love without a side motive, to love without an ulterior motive, to love without bounds, to love a genuine love. That's what we're called to do. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Again, going back to our last point, we can't be doing the evil things of this world. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affectionated one to another with brotherly love and honor, preferring one another. We need to make sure that when we're trying to grow in our relationship, we're allowing other people to help us grow. And we are helping other people grow. We are loving them. We are being affectionate towards them. We are trying to give them the things that they need. We're trying to rejoice in hope, being patient, being loving, praying with them, doing all of these different things because that's the important thing that we've been called to do. We must make sure to help those around us with a genuine love. And we also must be an example of how to love and to serve others for God. That's what we've been called to do. Matthew 5, 16, Christ himself says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. We are called to be an example in this world. We are called to be set apart, a people set on the hill. 
And he's saying, let your light so shine among men that they may see your good works and may glorify your Father which is in heaven. This story about Jesus and him, him getting lost in Jerusalem and, and being found in the temple is important for us because Christ at the age of 12 set the example of the way we're supposed to grow. We're supposed to, number one, Focus on ourselves. Make sure that's not me just saying, hey, you know, self-love, self-care, just do everything you need to. But that's me saying our relationship with God is, should be the most important thing in our lives. I love my wife. I love my family. I love you guys. But you all pale in comparison to my relationship with God. God becomes first, then my wife, and then you guys are down here because I really love my wife. <laughs> But we are, we, are taught, or we are called and told that we need to serve others the way that Christ did. Because he came not into this world to, ser or to be served, but he came to serve. He came to set the example on the way we're supposed to live. Even at the age of 12, he's sitting in the temple, talking to people, helping them, them helping him, growing in his understanding and his wisdom, and growing in the Spirit. At the age of 12, Christ is already showing us the way we're supposed to live. At 25 years old, I, I find it kind of difficult to follow a little 12-year-old, but this is Jesus we're talking about. This is important. He understands the reason he's here. He understands the importance of him even being in existence on the earth. We need to make sure that we're growing in our own relationship. We're helping others grow. But not only that, we're allowing others to help us grow. Because here's the thing. In our church, if we want to be about God, we have to make God's business our business. If we want to be about God, we have to make sure that our concerns are his concerns. You know, in a, in a marriage, in a, in a wedding, you always you go through the whole thing, and it's, you know, well... Uh, can't remember exactly how it goes. Something of like, you know, will their will their 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 happiness be your happiness, their sorrows be your sorrows, things like that. And that's absolutely true, but it should be even more so with God. The things that God hates, the sin that God hates, we should hate. The things that God says is wrong, we should think are wrong. The things that God says it's right, the ways that we should live in righteousness, we should be striving for. Our entire purpose. I've said, it, I've said it here before, but I'll say it again. Our purpose as believers is to, number one, glorify God. That's our sole purpose as believers. If we're not growing in our relationship so that we can glorify God better, if we're not allowing mentors, allowing peers, allowing people to pour into us so we're glorifying God better, if we're not helping people glorify God better, then we are not achieving our sole purpose in this life. If we want to be a church that is planted in our community, we need to, one, focus on ourselves, but number two, we need to make sure that we're focused on other people. That's, just, that's not just our church people, that's people outside of this, these walls. Again, we love our church, and we love being able to come together and do activities. I know they had a great baby shower yesterday for Laura and Harley, and I know that they had a fantastic time, especially among you know, fellow church members. But it's important for us to realize that there comes a point when there are people out there that are dying that do not know Christ. That there are people out there that need salvation 
And who else is going to bring it to them except for the local New Testament church? People aren't going to hear about Christ. They're not going to even know about a relationship with God and know about growing in that relationship if we don't go tell them. The Bible says who's going, to, who's going to tell them or who's going to go unless they be sent? Who's going to preach unless, the, unless they be preached to? Unless, I'm getting it mixed up, but the bottom line is we are called to do a mission. And that is to go out and to share the gospel. And if we aren't doing that, then we are not fulfilling our role as a church. And, and I'm, I'm not okay with that. I'm not saying we're doing a bad job. I'm just simply saying that our focus to be planted means to, right there, to sow seeds of Christ. Number one, that's why I put it, a, our very first goal this entire year and should be our entire existence is to sow seeds of Christ. To make sure that we are putting God's business before our own. So today, as we, as we go out of these doors, I want to encourage you, invite somebody to church. Invite them here or to even another church. I am not about to sit here and say we're the only Bible-believing church in Spokane, Washington. There are other churches that are fantastic. There are other people who are preaching that are doing a fantastic job. All we want is somebody to be in God's Word, to hear about salvation, to hear about Christ. Now, yes, we would love for them to be here because we want our family to get bigger. We want to reach people, to get them in our community, to be able to enjoy fellowship with them. But our first goal is not to build the church. Our first goal is to glorify God. It's to share Christ. It's to share salvation. It's to share with other people the ways to salvation. So I encourage you, invite somebody. If you haven't, then uh, in the back or out, out there is, is a calendar that we talked about last week with all of our big events for the entire year. Invite people to these. I really, I really hit this hard last week, so I won't keep hitting it hard this week, but there's different things we can be inviting people to. We can be getting people involved. Get involved yourself. If we're not, number one, growing in our own relationship, then we can't go out and try and help other people. That's why it's number one. Focus on our own relationship. Allow others to mentor us, to teach us, to, to help us in our, in our walks and our growth. But we need to make sure that we are helping other people. So as Liberty Baptist Church in 2024, my encouragement to you is as we try to be a church that is planted, let's first be a church that is focused and gotten our own lives right and worried about the log in our eyes before we worried about the speck in other people's eyes. Let us not be hypocritical. Let us not be, be judgmental in the, in the sense of trying to just shove our, our beliefs down people's throat because we think that it's right. But help us show love. Help us show Christ. And help us show everybody the importance of our church. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for today and just thank you for this opportunity for us today to be able to look at the life of Christ and the beginning of his ministry even at the age of 12 being able to see the ways that he, he was with people and the ways that he, he questioned and tried to grow himself and help them grow and help us to be like that. Help us to know and to understand that, that our church is here for a purpose and that purpose is you. Help us to grow in our relationships with you. Help us to allow others to help us grow 
and help us to help others grow. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.